UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have back someone with me whose work I've looked up to for a long time, um, David Sarita. This is someone who's having radio contact with uh, UFOs. He's going to tell us about it today. This is someone who's, you know, when you talk about, like, people are talking about med beds and healing technology, this is someone who's already implemented healing technology through frequency. He really is doing it right now, and he has proof of it in the background you're going to see. Um, just a little bit of more, more about me. I mean, he worked, he was the head of the Tesla Foundation in California. Just a little bit more about my guest. David has studied meditation, yoga, vegetarian diet, world religions, ancient history, physics, math, astronomy, alternative zero point injuries for 40 years. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm just excited to have him on the show. Uh, David, uh, thank you for coming back on. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So I wanted to get your opinion first, starting off with um, all this stuff. It's a kind of a hot topic. now. I kind of died down a little bit, but it's still newsworthy. Um, the UFOs, the supposed UFO shoot downs and the balloons. And, I, you know, like what I was thinking was not, it doesn't seem like they were able to shoot down UFOs before. But I, I don't know. I wanted to get your opinion. What do you think? Well, I, you know, one of my good friends and and you know, co-researchers was Boyd Bushman, a Lockheed Martin senior scientist of over 20 years. He worked for General Dynamics, Texas Instruments. You know, he worked for the Shah of Iran, actually, Howard Hughes. And Boyd was a weapon scientist at Lockheed. So, you know, I was able to get the inside scoop on some of the most advanced weapons we have. But here's the first thing you should know about balloons. Remember, we covered up Roswell with a balloon story. And the the idea of a Chinese balloon, which actually came just slightly east of me here, because I'm in the Canadian side right now, just above the top of northern Idaho, like so close. We're so close to Idaho. And actually, from NOAA's tracking map, the the Chinese alleged Chinese balloon, which is over 200 feet wide, carrying a payload of several thousand pounds, um, was spying on the, the fear was it was spying on us uh, you know nuclear missile sites and they can do that with satellites no problem i mean satellite cameras are so accurate you can see the top of somebody's head you know with with incredible accuracy so there's no need to believe that they didn't know where you know our minuteman nuclear sites are in montana and you know, we 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 know they already know that. So why? What are they spying on? Yes, it was probably a Chinese balloon, the first one. And here's where the story gets more interesting because 
after news broke that the Earth's inner liquid core stopped spinning relative to the speed of the spin of the Earth, suddenly you had all these UFOs coming down from the north, which would be the North Pole region. And that gives me ideas about the inner Earth, like the idea of the inner Earth theory that that both, um, I mean, there are many, many studies done on the hollow Earth theory and the Earth has you know, a civilization that's that's living on the inside of the earth. And I'm not sure where I stand on that personally, but I found it interesting that all these UAPs are coming down from the north. I believe China sent the balloon to try to get a close-hand look with a very slow-moving, non-intrusive, 60,000-foot-up-in-the-air balloon. And, and I know that altitude very well. The temperature is incredibly cold up there, like, you know, below minus 70. I, I skydived from 30,000 feet, and I trained at Edwards Air Force Base in those days in doing, uh, you know, all my pressure chamber testing. And, you know, I know what, what happens. I know the dynamics of the physiology of humans at, in high-altitude reconnaissance flight. You have to have pressure suits on your pilots because there's no pressure to keep your skin together. It'll just, you know, explode it off of your bones if you're not pressurized. And there's very, not very many human beings can handle that environment. It's amazing how many, how many people in the pressure test at Edwards failed. Like they would, you know, when you're flying in an airplane, so it's pressurized, right? And if you have a sudden decompression of a cabin at that altitude, it looks like an explosion. They did this with us. So it looks like the, 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 the high pressure air meets the cold pressure air. There's actually an explosion. You see kind of fog everywhere. And you become very quickly disoriented. You have to grab your oxygen mass faster than you think. So you think you're on an airplane. And you think that, you know, the, the uh, stewardess tells you, you know, your oxygen mass will come down. Some people cannot function properly within 30 seconds. And other people won't function after a minute right i was in the top 10 percent. there were guys that lasted longer than me they gave us math problems pretty soon you can't see color <laughs> and you're, you're and then pretty soon you're seeing spots everywhere like you're gonna faint and i looked across the chamber and there's a whole bunch of guys passed out that that couldn't survive and there's one guy i was starting to pass out and he was still doing his problems he was better than me right so we we all it's called hypoxia oxygen starvation to the brain plus the pressure so when you think of this balloon at sixty thousand feet it's unlikely that it's manned due to temperature pressure how long the flight was right it's a long drifting migrating balloon i think our satellites picked up uap movement from the north and the balloons consequently followed with camera systems and sensors and they followed their migration path now, this region of the eastern Kootenai Mountains, just above the top of northern Idaho, has UFO stories that go back to the early 40s before Roswell. In fact, Roswell begins in Idaho. The United Airlines pilot in Idaho reports seeing the same UFOs that later Kenneth Arnold would see in Yakima, Washington, which was next. Then the same UFOs, that was June of 1947, um, Arnold's story. Then in July 4th, Independence Day, these UFOs assembled over Portland, Oregon and made the papers. There's a huge story there. So it looks like our military was chasing them and their movements. 
Then on July 8th, which is the day recorded for the Roswell incident, um, they appeared over Edwards Air Force Base. So the same day, and what Boyd Bushman tells me is he's treating uh, his friend, a friend of his is a Navy doctor who is treating a young pilot of radiation burns who had just fired a beam weapon upon the flying saucers that came down um, on all three sides of Trinity, right? Roswell, Plains of St. Augustine. There, there's, there's, there's Corona, New Mexico. There's, there's all these crash sites. And now we have this new story of just after the Trinity test, July 22nd, 1945, the, there was there was a report of an avocado-shaped UFO and aliens came out of it right near the detonation site of Trinity. And so with, with what happens is when you when you have a detonation of gamma, intense gamma radiation in, in the nuclear blast, you create a time dilation portal where time dilates. When I was a young physics student, I wrote a paper on time dilation and which was way ahead of the level that I was at at the time. But I really understand what time dilation is. And I was the first person on, on Art Bell to come up with the theory that it's not a coincidence that you have three crashes all around the Trinity site. And I've been down there, been down there several times just to feel the energy. I've taken my kids down there, you know, about, about four years ago, we all went down there. So here's what I think is going on. There's a connection to the Earth's dynamo. Um, and the date of that, the Turkey earthquake happens just after that, right? After news reported of the slowing down of the Earth's core, which is um, very disturbing. And it's kind of like a bee's nest. I believe, and this is my thesis, that ETs have established bases on Earth that are sequestered from modern civilization and they've been here for millennia. The you know you read in, in Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, you'll see these descriptions of the goddess Athena shooting across the sky like a meteor, and landing on the earth with her staff, which she converts to a spear, and she makes war and decimates you know the armies on the earth with a single, a single goddess like that that powerful. So I believe those myths can now come to light in understanding because now we're going to go into velocity and why it's impossible to shoot down these things that move so fast with a traditional missile that might peak at 2,500 miles an hour, the, the missiles that we apparently fired upon these alleged UAPs. And so well, the radar data, I was in a closed meeting with Lou Elizondo came in on that meeting, Dan Aykroyd, Bobby Kennedy, Jr., Jr., a whole bunch of people were in that meeting. And in this particular piece of data, it's it's so sloppy how the media reports velocity, so freaking sloppy, unprofessional, right? I've heard that the UAPs on radar drop from above 80,000 feet to the deck to sea level in 0.78 seconds. I've heard they drop from above um, 80,000 feet to 20,000 feet in 0.78 seconds. They've messed this thing up so bad, okay? So above 80,000 feet to sea level, 5,280 feet in a mile in a full second would be 15.15 miles per second, but it's 0.78 seconds. So you have to add 12%, and it turns out they're going, you know, um, 
So if I take, uh, just make my calculator here. So I take, I mean, I can show, I want people to see this because can we do a share screen? Uh, yeah, let me enable screen sharing. Hold on one second. I, I want you to see this people because nobody reports performance properly on these things. Okay. Nobody does this. Okay. So 80,000 feet and they came from above 80,000 feet divided by 5,280 feet per mile. They did this in 0.78 seconds. So it's 15.15 miles. That's a full second, right? And 0.78 of a second is 12. You need 12% more, right? So no, it, you're, you're missing uh, you're missing 12%. So times one. Oh, you're missing. Sorry, you're missing 22%.22 is 18.48 seconds, 18 miles 0.48 per second times 60 seconds in a minute times 60 minutes in an hour. There's your velocity, 66,545 miles an hour. Oh my God. Okay, that's just that one incident. Now, I it was confirmed with Lou Elizondo that the correct recording of the data is above 80,000 feet to sea level in 0.78 seconds, not the, not the other ones. And the media has messed this up all over the place. Then the media says they're doing over 23,000 miles an hour. So you can see how much faster that is than 23,000. So also on Netflix, and this got edited out, Commander David Fravor, who was you know, on, on, the, on the U.S. Nimitz incident with the Tic Tac, is quoted as saying, confirmed by his radar operator, Kevin Day, that they saw a UFO jump 60 miles just like that, one second. So 60 miles a second times 60 seconds in a minute times 60 minutes in an hour is 216,000 miles an hour. This is called ludicrous speed because our fighter jets might peak at 2,500. Let's, let's talk in miles per hour instead of mock. Because when you drive your car, you're looking at miles per hour. You see how slow that fighter jet peaking velocity is? Maybe 2,700, right? And it's funny because in Tom Cruise's movie, they, they, they're having this, this fantasy about going Mach 10 times about 780 miles an hour. It's just a touch less than that. So Mach 10 is is seventy eight hundred miles an hour. Right? I saw that. He's mm -hmm. flying that new is supposedly that supposedly from what they say the newest technology. That's not the newest technology. We know that they have no, well, no look, look we were going Mach four, five, and six in the X fifteen. Major Bob White was the first human to go, you know, uh, Mach six. So Mach six times like it's just a little less than seven hundred and eighty is forty six hundred and eighty miles an hour, right? And Putin's hypersonic missiles are not confirmed to be a little bit faster than Major Bob White flew way back in, in the 50s and early 60s is, is, is the X-15, right? And Major Bob White is flying the X-15, and he reports in Time magazine that there's a UAP, he doesn't call it a UAP in those days, a rectangular non-aerodynamic, I mean... I don't want to say, I mean, because the way they describe it in Time Magazine is an object, and he must have been hallucinating because you can't fly a rectangle at that speed. 
Well, you see, the idea now of something that can go 216,000 miles an hour or, or you know, above 80,000 feet means it's probably somewhere around 70,000 miles an hour, the first one. You can't hit those with missiles, right? But with a beam weapon at a distance, if you could eat, you can't see something going that fast if you're near it. Not even a full-size craft going by you at these speeds would be visible to a pilot. Because a pilot, they're they're not they're normally only going, you know, under Mach 1. Like they're cruising under Mach 1. So they're going around 700 miles an hour, right? When you're flying United Airlines, you know, you might be going 450 to 500, right? They, they don't go Mach 1, you know, just under 780 miles an hour. They're not doing that. So because they're not going to, you don't hear your commercial passenger jets breaking the sound barrier and creating sonic booms. So, so let's really understand performance here. So the fastest missile on Earth today is still Minuteman. The American ICBM will do 18,000 miles an hour. Right, the Russian ICBMs are fifteen to seventeen hundred miles an hour slower. The the North Korean ones way slower than that. China's not as fast. Still, the fastest thing alive is Minuteman, but that's only eighteen thousand miles an hour top velocity, and Minuteman goes up up into space, and then it drops down into its target. Right, and so the 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 Russian. Um, hypersonic missiles are tactical missiles so they fly in the they don't go up into space and reach those speeds they claim roughly seven thousand miles an hour but it's not confirmed and in fact i believe during the the war with um um uh, ukraine we intercepted one of their missiles this was a very small story really disturbed Putin that this missile was intercepted because it was one of his Zircon hypersonics, right? Which he claims are roughly in that speed velocity, right? And our missiles, tactical, typically the ones they shot at these balloons in, in the north of Canada and Alaska, were about 2,500 mile an hour missiles, right? Which is incredibly fast. You're not going to hit a UAP with that. Sorry, you're not going to... And you don't fire those at balloons because it's, I don't even know if it will detonate upon a fabric balloon. I actually don't know the answer to that. It it might, it would detonate upon hitting the payload if it's a good payload hanging underneath it. And we know that when we did our nuclear testing, we used balloons to carry um, small nuclear detonation weapons that can create an electromagnetic pulse which can wipe out your power grids and your telecommunications so the very fact that a chinese balloon entered u.s airspace the the governor of montana should have given the order to shoot it down he doesn't need the president to get on the phone that, that is so stupid like as if you know how much you know what the time delay there is like if, if this is an emp and it's imminent i i don't care that it wasn't an EMP in the end, you don't take chances. You got to take this thing out. The question is, why in the following weeks of the of the incident do we have all these UAPs in, in detected? So NORAD has radar detection centers. NORAD means North, right? Aerospace Command. So that means all of British Columbia, 
all the way around Alaska, all the way into the Yukon, north top of the Northwest Territories and Inuvut, all the, and then all the way down the Eastern Seaboard, all the way down to basically New York, is we have radar detection systems that have filters for the, de the detection within the range of the known velocities that we just discussed that peak at the top of the ICBM velocities. So their filters can't see things going faster unless they adjust them, and they can't see things going really slow. So let's go, let's go now to really slow. So if you go to really slow, you go to Lieutenant Ryan Graves, in the Atlantic, off the coast of the Carolinas. He's saying these guys are seeing these all the time. And I've listened to him. Okay, so they're seeing up around 20,000 feet, which is not very high. I skydive from 20,000 feet all the time. The air is good up there. I mean, you, you can't breathe very well at 20,000 feet. The, the limit is 15,000. Then you start experiencing hypoxia. So when I skydived with over 300 skydives here, sometimes they would take us up to 20. And, you know, you, you'll punch through 20 to 15 in a matter of seconds, you know, when you jump out of a plane. You know, there's not much error up there. Again, I'm telling you this because thinking of biologicals up there, you would, at the elevation of the Chinese balloon, 60,000 feet, you absolutely need a pressure suit. If there's a human, you absolutely need oxygen, right? And a trip that long, they're going to run out of oxygen. <laughs> they don't do balloon flights. Uh, I mean, I guess they could store enough oxygen for a manned we don't know if the Chinese balloon was manned. We actually don't know. But it was at 60,000 feet, and then it dropped down to 20. And 20 is a little more reasonable, but you still, there's not enough air up there. There is enough pressure at 20,000 feet. You don't need a pressure suit there. Um, 15,000 feet is the limit for most humans. And so, therefore, was it manned? And then the other alleged balloons noticed we didn't see the recovery because they probably didn't hit anything because you can't if they're UAPs. Now, a recent report came in from Northwest Territories Canada just underneath Slave Lake, underneath the Slave Lake, and, and the Slave and the Great Bear Lakes are the largest freshwater lakes in the world. There's more water in those lakes. They're much deeper than um, than the traditional Great Lakes. The Great Lakes are not very deep. It's amazing how shallow the Great Lakes are. They're not very deep. So, but these are so these lakes are over a thousand feet deep. So, they're, if you want water, you build pipelines this big and send water out of the bottom of the Great, you know, Bear Lake and send it to anywhere there's a drought, and you'll have water. And nobody even thinks of this this resource that's sitting up there, and the the lower lake, the Slave Lake, is is heavily. There's a lot of mining operations around it, so the water is apparently polluted in this massive lake. But but you got to. We're going to connect mines. The theory of Zechariah Sitchin that these ETs came here to mine gold, um, is very evident in all the ancient scriptures. Guess where all the gold is? The Yukon. It, it, there's lots of gold up there. There's always been lots of gold up there. So you get a map of your gold mines in North America and you follow this Chinese balloon. It actually 
coincides with the migration of where all the gold mines are, which is where these ET operations have been for thousands of years. And that's because hey, question, I know David, is that yeah. is that close to uh, California too? Because I, I noticed like and this just isn't like I, I noticed on Rex's channel, he's got a couple people that are reporting from California. They're 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 getting a bunch of UAP, UAPs and then well, yeah, the Sierras have, have had, the Sierra Nevada has had UFO sightings continuously, amazingly. And I think there's more untapped gold because the, the laser technology these, these craft have can bore into our mountains and get way inside. And, and maybe it's not just gold they're interested in, right? So they've been able to elude us if many of them are totally human i don't even buy the green man theory i think that is that is an implant story because i've known people including myself after i saw a ufo in berkeley in 1968 i was seven years old at the time because i was born in 61 our family was born in canada four boys my mom and dad moved us to berkeley in about 65 1965 and, and my dad was getting a phd in psychology there working on his degree and that's where i saw the ufo right hovering above the campus for a good 20 minutes and then it didn't accelerate it's just gone like so fast and again if something goes from zero to even twenty thousand miles an hour you won't see it I mean, a bullet coming out of a rifle might be 1,800 miles an hour. A handgun, 700 miles an hour. You can't see that, right? Now, even if it's really big, 30 feet, because, you know, let's go, because we're going to go to Ryan Graves now. Let's go to Ryan Graves in the Atlantic. So Graves and his co-pilots report cubes that are in the 35-foot diameter range with a sphere inside, and the points of the cube extrude just past the edges of the sphere now what's interesting about his uaps is they're they're maintaining about mach 1 to 1.1 and so they're just under at mach 1.1 you know they're under a thousand miles an hour but at the elevation he's talking about your pressure is so low that you can't go really slow the lower the pressure the faster you go you have to go to maintain your your, your elevation or you're just going to drop and what was a lot of you know again newscasters don't catch these points the pilot's trying to tell you is um that you can't you can't go really slow in those altitudes and he also saw them going mock I think he I reported like a standstill. They they were they were barely moving. And that disturbed him because there's no visible means of propulsion. There's no thrust, there's no heat. So I started getting the footage in my hands from it was from the government source website. I'm going to show you some images here when I can find them. Um, and you'll see what He's saying a cube in his spirit. I, I always found this really kind of hoarse. So I need to go to share screen again. This UFO is called Gimbal. Now, this is your Gimbal UFO. Taken into Photoshop. And everyone thinks that's a flying saucer. Remember, Ryan Gabe Graves said it's a cube in a sphere. 
Now, if I clean this up, even on my third image on the top, that's the base of a square. You see your four points, right? Yeah. Just come to the bottom. That's the base of a square. That's no flying saucer shape, right? This is the base of a square. And there's some protrudence, you know, here in this region here where I've colorized, you know, I haven't added any color. I just increased the color that's evident within the image itself, right? So that means that this is in two dimensions, a, a square that in three dimensions might be a cube, right? Which means the rest of it is is not visible to the flare, the forward-looking infrared cameras wavelengths of light sensitivity. But this is not a flying saucer shape. This is a square, right? And so that means what he called a cube within a sphere, and I see a bulge in the middle, might even be a square with a bulge sphere inside of it. Again, these things, I'd, I'd really like to interview him about this because this is this is a frame from the original video taken into Photoshop and you know, just you're just reducing your light. And notice the aura around the top left image. There, there's a there's a field around there. And the only thing I know that can do that is a very powerful magnetic field. And the way these things move, when I watch gimbal rotate like this, it 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 reminds me of a, a gyroscope. And it reminds me of the way magnets behave when you have you know a couple of magnets together, and you'll see when the, the way they orient themselves and and they 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 move the movements of gimbal are magnetic magnetism there's okay you have fer a ferromagnetism means you can permanently magnetize a rare earth like nickel iron neodymium right and i mean in this case here i've got a neodymium suspended in a tube with two other magnets on either side of it with the light fields facing so it'll never touch right and then you have everything is magnetic. See, my coil back here, this is one of my coil systems. The copper is paramagnetic and paramagnetism mirrors. So it creates the, the, the same field, opposing field effects, which is what's happening in my tube here, right? The aluminum is, no, the, sorry, the copper is diamagnetic, which does that. And the aluminum is paramagnetic, which means it turns into a magnet in a magnetic field. Now, in your air envelope, you have nitrogen and oxygen and other trace gases. And those are paramagnetic and diamagnetic pairs, right? Which means if you can create a magnetic lens, and notice a normal UFO shape is the shape of a lens, and I can lens my magnetic field, and I can, I can cause in front of the craft all of the dipoles which look like spaghetti in all different directions to suddenly align in a magnetic lens the craft will be attracted to it and move towards it at incredible speed and you can get the velocities that we're talking about you know upwards at the top and the data suggests 216,000 mile an hour movement now 
The G-forces on a liquid-based body like ours, because we're mostly made of water, 78% water, you're going to be spamming a can if you move that fast suddenly, unless you have to understand your bones are calcium. So your calcium, I believe, is paramagnetic. You see these videos of these levitating mice at MIT in these super strong magnetic fields. So yeah, you can levitate a human by the bones because in a, in a focused magnetic field, your bones will turn into a magnet. But as soon as I turn the field off, the, the mouse will drop, hence the levitating. If you see this movie, Missing 411, and the levitating elk and cows, you can understand how that works because everything's magnetic in a magnetic field. When I turn the magnetic field off, like I have a little setup over here with my daughter. We we make, you can turn a bolt into a permanent magnet, right? So when I, with a coil wrapped around a bolt and some power, it turns into electromagnet, but it actually turns into a real permanent magnet. But other metals are actually magnetic as well. It's just that they're not, I'm trying to see if I have my copper over. Um, I can take one of these pieces of silver here. This is pure silver. And I can take my neodymium magnet and move it towards it really fast and I'll feel the pull. Well, yeah, I can feel that really well, right? And that's because even my silver is magnetic in a magnetic field. So I believe the way they're moving is they've developed magnetism far beyond what we're doing. They're creating what are called magnetic lenses, which really focuses a magnetic beam. And Boyd Bushman has a patent at Lockheed that's called magnetic levitation beam. And he showed me the patent. Of course, most of it you can you'll never get your hands on. You can get the abstract. And they all in the diagrams, they always leave out something so that you can you think you could build it with the diagrams that are available to the public. It won't work. You have to know the, the secret, right? So that's how I, I don't believe in anti-gravity per se, because a true gravity wave, like let's take Bob Lazar's theory of his his gravity generators right a gravity generator will distort and warp and put tremendous force on anything with mass in its wake when you turn those things on we don't see when these things go by they don't pull on anything around them they don't cause dust to spin they don't cause rocks to go flying they don't cause clouds to suddenly be attracted to them. I can show you a video. Um, let me see if I can find this video because this, this video. And while you're just saying, I was thinking, David, they go right in the ocean without causing disturbance in the water, right? Right. And I'm going to show you how a magnet disturbs water here. This is an incredible experiment that was done. If I can find this. Um. Um, and you can see the way just water put in a plastic tube sitting on a little float pad in a in a tub of water with no wind and you apply a neodymium magnet and it becomes attracted to to the magnet 
while you're looking for that, do you think that's where a lot of the ET bases are off the coast of California, like under underwater? Yeah, I I think that that that's. I mean, Preston Dennett's book UFOs over Cal. I mean, off the coast of California is a really good book documenting the case studies of what we've seen out there. I used to live in Topanga Canyon in Malibu during the years of the huge UFO sightings over to um, Topanga. And I interviewed a, um, a, a professor from Santa Monica College and a teacher at Santa Monica College named is David. I'm trying, he's in my film, the film I did that Dean Haglund is in. A lot of famous people are in that movie, um, From Here to Andromeda. And he's describing these helicopters chasing UFOs in the middle of the night through Topanga Canyon. Right. So, there, I, my hypothesis is again, Roswell started in Idaho. And I, these mountains go right down into Idaho, and then the, they become much softer mountains in Idaho because I've driven through there than they are here. And so, what what happens is if you go back to your your history of your cases and you look where the pockets of sightings occur and you create a map of that just like you would create a gold map it looks like they're interested in gold which would be consistent with Zechariah Sitchin right but they, I think they're interested in other you know minerals if they live here and they use it as a base they probably have bases on Jupiter's moons. I mean, the speeds they can move, it's no problem um, to move around the solar system, you know, at the, at the velocities they have, right? And that's not even thinking about if they have wormholes or portals that they can access, right? Well, again, the movement within around a planetary sphere, there's the, the, the other function of the UFO would to create a... You'd only need a wormhole, a micro wormhole for a fraction of a second to move a spaceship into another dimension where movement is. So you can't move too fast through this dimension because you're going to hit stuff. You're going to hit micrometeorites and they'll shred your craft. Nothing. You can't move at the speed of light physically anyway. But if you get out of this dimension into hyperspace, you can. And then you pop in. Now, there's... There might be a reason for element 115 or other exotic elements to produce that, that energy that creates a, a, a supermassive micro wormhole, but it only needs to exist for a fraction of a second. So you don't even need stable element 115. In fact, we're past 115 now. Right. I mean, I, I met Glenn Seaborg and Albert Gorosso at, at the Lawrence Berkeley lab for lunch one day with the physicists that I worked with, Bogdan Maglish on fusion, and we got into UFOs. These guys discovered particles that are beyond, we're beyond 115 now. So again, those particles can do their job because they're so massive in a fraction of a second. And that's the higher function of the UFO. So that's why I think the, the idea of this permanent gravity wave, look, if Lazar's interpretation of the data when he went to S4 and saw the craft was something 
that was very special, they would have never let him out. The fact that Lazar saw what he saw and they let him go means they probably weren't that interested in his interpretation of the data. So he thinks he knows and he made all these diagrams, but it doesn't make sense because a gravity wave will pull or push on anything that comes within a certain vicinity of it. And you don't see that happening. So that can't be what 115 is used for. Yes, I, I believe I believe in the 115, the element 115 part of the story, but I don't believe. I don't believe you need to create a gravity wave. I was going to ask because, you, what do you think we have? Like, do you think we have TR-3Bs? And and uh, some people say we even have like secret space program battleships and stuff. Like, where do you where do you lie on all that stuff? Well, I, I and that that's the most, okay, okay, this is going to blow your mind. And I just figured this out. You'll be the first person to know this. Wow. So if you count the date of Roswell, which is registered at July 8th, and there are some discrepancies about the date, but it's registered July 8th. Guess when the U.S. Air Force and the CIA are created? 72 days later. Wow. What does the number 72 mean? Why 72 days? Well, 72 times 2, which is the musical octave, is 144. And there's 144,000 casing stones in the Great Pyramid. There's 144,000 ascended beings in the Book of Revelation in the end, Right. Because your common Christian believers go to the paradise new earth and those who become in a much more of a saintly quality become one of the 144,000. Now, 72 times three, which is which is a musical third, a shift of, of times three or divided by three is 432, the magic number, right? So why did they create the CIA and the Air Force 72 days after Roswell's July 8th date, right? That is incredible. That may show, and of course, the in the Shroud of Turin, Jesus is 72 inches tall, which is six feet, and give or take a few millimeters on the upper or the downside. The number 72, of course, there's the, Jesus had 72 minor disciples and 12 major, right? Right, so 72, um, nine times eight is 72. So July the 8th, you know, so there's a code there and I'm working on it. Why? Again, America's founding fathers were Masonic masters, right? And I, and, and I decoded, it, and this is on my website. I can show people this, the Washington Monument. So let's just put that up for a second and go to, because you can see, you can see the, and I, I was just talking on George Norrie about this, you know, recently in my most recent appearance there. I heard it. It was he amazing. Wrote, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really yeah. good stuff. Like, See, the Washington Monument, if you take its height, right, and its height is right here. And I have the exact height. It's 555 feet, 0.427, 555.427 feet. Now, there's a mathematical formula. If I create a vesica Pisces out of the two circles whose diameter is the height of the monument, right? Now, notice on the graphs of the monument, 
where is it? The grass on the monument, I have that on a different slide. You'll see the Vesca Pisces on the lawn feature. Okay, which is this shape, the lens shape. Notice the UFO is the lens shape, right? Shape of a lens. The height of the Vesca Pisces is slightly less than the height of the monument, comes to the height of the Great Pyramid to an accuracy of 99.98%. That's freaking incredible. I figured this out. Nobody else has figured this out. You see the lawn feature in this tiny little photo here? Yeah. Right underneath the wash, the monument sitting inside of the Vesca Pisces. And you see these circles on the lawn. This is on the National Park Service website for the monument. Okay, so the monument as an antenna, as a monopole antenna, a monopole antenna will produce a wavelength four times its height. Let me see if I can find the bigger pictures of this in my, my computer just so I can show you uh, the audience a much bigger image. Let's what see. do you think they, they built the Washington Monument for? I mean, I heard you say it's like it's it's emitting frequencies, you think, right? Well, it's, it's emitting a frequency because it's powered by the Tesla Schumann resonance. So so we know that, right? So the, um, hang on a second. I'm just going to see if I can, Monument Secret here, Monument Secret. Okay, here we go. So I open this up, stop, share, screen, share. This is the monument secret. So the monument as an antenna powered by the Schumann resonant, and this is precise math. So you take 555 feet, point, um, one to five inches tall as a monopole antenna. The wavelength is four times the height on a monopole antenna. Its wavelength is 2221.7. Oh my God, that's so close to 2222, right? That's its wavelength. So you take the speed of light divided by in feet divided by the wavelength in feet, and its frequency is 442.709351 hertz. But if I divide that by a musical octave, which is by two, 10 times, it's 432.33 hertz. There's your 432 again. Wow. Right. right? So it means it's a 432 octave tuner. Now, the second the monument is built... And I have to show you another graphic for that. Am I out of the screen share? Yeah. I, so, I have just got to find my Zoom again. Where's my Zoom? Here it is. Here it is. Okay. So, so let me just find this monument secret. No, I think I have another one called Washington. What happens? When this frequency transmits in the Eastern Atlantic within a radius of about 200 nautical miles, all the greatest inventions in the history of the world, which are the game chambers for the entire planet, are all invented within this radius of the monument. So my theory is, and I mean everything, and this is, this is all on my website. I'm trying to find the original graphic, which is bigger for people to see. Oh, it must be in my download, so Washington, I must have put it here. There it is, Washington Invention. So let me, let me get this up on the screen. Okay, so here's your timeline. There's your Washington Monument, which is completed in 1884, but it the frame, which is steel, 
it is mostly done by the time suddenly Edison invents the phonograph in 1877, Edison invents the light bulb 1879, Tesla invents alternating current at at uh, in New Jersey at Edison's you know lab in 1882, Edison invents DC 1882. You see this, the monument, the marble on the outside is 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 completed in 1884. But the frame, which is the antenna, is already vibrating this frequency. Tesla invents radio, Chicago World's Fair, 1893. Henry Ford invents the automobile, 1896. Um, Edison invents the motion picture, 1888. And when you come here, Lodge invents EMF, 1894. Vladimir Zorkin at RCA invents the cathode ray tube and the television consequently with Farnsworth, 1922. This is all happening within my magic radius, right? So imagine the monument is transmitting this frequency, transmitting this frequency to high 432 um, A note, right? So it is an A note. It's a 432 octave. So the Wright brothers invent flight. Uh, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina is within my 200 nautical miles. Carl Jansky, Bell Labs is right there in New Jersey. So it's pretty close to the monument, right? It's within my, it's way inside of my 200 nautical mile limit. Brighton Shockley Bardeen invent the transistor in 1947, the same year as Roswell. But it actually, they were developing it before that. This is when they finally got it working. That's what gave, and, and Robert Kahn invented surf, de developed the first internet transmission. Again, done right there very close to the the monument uh the lcd tv led tvs right there um i mean the list goes way beyond this see these inventions didn't happen in australia they didn't happen in new zealand they didn't happen in england they didn't happen in freaking austria they, they didn't happen in, in california they happened here first the patents get distributed worldwide and then the consequential spin-offs start to form the improvements, right? Like, like, but the the core major transformational invention happens consequential to the monument transmitting this frequency, right? And the whole world changes because of that. Now that's an Egyptian obelisk, right? So if I go, let me let me show you another slide here, but I got to find it online. Okay, so let me just find an image. Okay, right here. Okay, so let me go to Zoom and share our screen. Okay, this is St. Peter's Square in the Vatican, right? And guess what's in the Vatican courtyard? An obelisk right here. And the height of that obelisk is also an A note transmitter. And it's, you know, that's an Egyptian obelisk, right? Like, there it is, right there. And guess what the height of St. Peter's is? The height of the Great Pyramid without its capstone. Michelangelo was one of the chief architects. The accuracy is better than 99.8%. I think they're off by a foot and a half, right? So 
This is the Great Pyramid of Egypt. This is an Egyptian obelisk in St. Peter's. Why is that? Because the king's chamber and the queen's chamber in the pyramid, the king's chamber is 10 by 20 cubits, which is in Solomon's temple, the holy place, which precedes the holy of holies, is 10 by 20 cubits. And you have to use the right cubit, which is the royal cubit, right? Which is, it's a whole story because... Because uh, Wyatt, who discovered um, the remains of Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat, said it was 515 feet. And that is the exact cubit I use, which is 20.601 inches per cubit. Right? So that that would mean that there was no, it was only one royal cubit at the time of the Bible, which was the same as the Egyptian perfect one. The Great Pyramid of Egypt uses exactly... 280 cubits times 20.601 inches gives you 480.69 feet, which is what Lemisere said was the finished pyramid. But the Vatican, the top of St. Peter's Basilica, is the height of the Great Pyramid today without the capstone. And there's your obelisk. So this is a this is just like the Washington Monument. When these things get plugged in, they transmit a frequency. Now this one. The Vatican happens to be tuned to A444, which is where John Lennon tuned his guitar, right, to A444. And in classical music, three sections of your orchestra, they move middle A around. They'll do A440, A432, A444 to create a kind of a holographic presence instead of all the sections of the orchestra being at the same note for middle a so the power of frequency is such that it can cause an awakening of an epiphany in the creative mind and intelligence and that's the purpose of, of my coil systems that people buy because i give them a menu of 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 hundreds of frequency programs to to work with right because your brain produces actual electromagnetic waves right delta theta, alpha, beta, and gamma, and so forth. So when you induce frequencies on the human nervous system with, you know, the, these are double vortex coil systems, you can cause massive awakenings in human consciousness so that the vision process starts to open up. So that's what I believe happened in Washington. You know, George Washington is the mastermind behind the monument. It wasn't done in his lifetime, the first American president. And whoever fine-tuned its height so perfectly, so freaking perfectly, it would cause this, this epiphany in human consciousness um, to, to give the, the American content... Because Alexander Graham Bell invents the telephone, and of course he's just north of there, but he does most of the work within the United States of America. You see, so here it is, nice and big. You see the feature on the lawn? Yeah. There's your Vesca Pisces. So the secret I decoded that that Vesca Pisces, if your two circles are the height of the monument, as its diameter, the, the Vesca Pisces height, this is the formula. So I take the height of the monument, 555.427 feet times 0. 0.8661106. See how long this is? It gives me 481 feet. Well, 
480.69 feet. But that's incredible accuracy because, because whoever, I mean, you would only have to adjust the height of the monument by a smidgen to change that, right? I mean, it's a, it's a hair's breadth off. So then I go to, again, my website is davidsreader.co. I'm just going back here to my monument page. And then you, you're going to see something else. Our screen, monument. Now, remember, it was July of 1952 that the, the Washington Capitol and the monument was buzzed by all these UFOs. I mean, it's a very famous story. Yeah. Right. And remember, Roswell happens within, within the vicinity of Trinity, the first atomic bomb test. Now, guess what happens? No, so it's July 1952. Guess what happens just after that? We test the first hydrogen bomb, which dwarfed the atomic bomb, November 1st, only months later. And see how these ETs are clued into our, our, our use of nuclear technology, nuclear weapons. So here's the monument getting struck by lightning. And when it gets struck by lightning, it gives off a massive awakening wave. Notice the back of the Dora, which people have hypothesized is the Great Pyramid. That's not the Great Pyramid. The slope angle of the pyramid on the dollar is the same as the slope angle on the Pyramidian on the monument, which is the, the, the Great Pyramid slope angle is 51 degrees, 51 minutes, 14.3 seconds. So, so, and that's according to La Missouri. Now, notice how steep the, the back of the Dollar Pyramid is, and there's the monument. They're the same. So the the illumin, illumination, the all-seeing eye of Horus floating above the, the capstone, right, is telling you whatever the capstone capstone is, guess what the capstone capstone on the monument is? It's a little aluminum pyramidion. And I've decoded the aluminum pyramidion. I'm not going to tell anybody the secret, but I can tell you one thing. It's coded with 432 again. There's a tiny aluminum pyramidion on the top. So the eye is the pyramidion on the top of the pyramid. Which That's is, fast. again, coded with 432. So it means the all-seeing eye. Nobody knows this. I'm, I'm the one who figured this out, people. So this isn't in anybody else's book. This is in, in David Sarita's book. And I'm just putting my name on it because, because it's important. You know, when, when you're a researcher, you always give credit to the source of a discovery. So if, if this was somebody else's discovery, I would tell you. So that means if the secret pyramidion on the top of the mind, you can barely see it. It's a little, it's an aluminum antenna. So let me go to. I want you to see this because this is. Uh, While we're doing that, David, I was I kind of yeah. hypothesized. I thought that maybe a lot of these we're seeing a lot more of these UAPs because we're at such a volatile time. Because you know there's talk of nuclear war and maybe they're they're buzzing us because they're concerned. I don't know. I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you think about that? Like, well, we've been in this situation a very 
very long time. And as far as are we in end times or anything like that, I mean, people have thought we've been in end times. No, I'm I'm on a show right now. Oh, okay. Thanks, honey. Okay, so this is the aluminum pyramid that goes on the capstone of the monument. This is the secret to this, which is encoded in its precise dimensions. And I, I only work with precise numbers. Like, you know, this new discovery of the 30-foot chamber in the Great Pyramid, it's not 30 feet. I, I need a laser measurement to work with the with the cube with the proper royal cubit to find out what it means, right? So th this is the this is this is the pyramidion on the monument, right? It's funny in in uh, Dan Brown's um, the new TV series. It's on Disney. It, it's it's all about what's it called? The you know it's called the uh, the lost symbol, and the lost symbol series. See, there's a nice picture. You see that of the monument and the finished yeah. work being done on the top, right? That's what's on the back of your dollar, not the Great Pyramid, people. The slope angle is completely wrong for it to be the Great Pyramid. This, this is the 72 slope angle. Now, the 72 angle, according to Henry Lincoln, this is mind-blowing, forms the pentagram, the five-pointed star. And the orbit of Earth and Venus forms every two years a pentagram, a five-pointed star. Isn't Washington, D.C. laid out the pentagram, too? Like, if you look at like, the, the scope of Washington, Oh, I know. That, there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole other thesis on that. Now, wherever you see the light illumination, you will see the dark right on top of it. In the Vatican is the light and the dark. The devil is there, and we all know it. But so is the light. And, and, and so a lot of people say, as soon as they see darkness, they think the whole thing is evil. Satan is always on top of, of course, he tried to throw Jesus Christ off the top of the, of the temple, off the top of Solomon's temple. That's what it says in the Bible, that in the temptation of Christ, Satan put Jesus on top of the temple. And Jesus wasn't tempted by him, and he, he didn't throw himself off, right? Then Satan took Jesus to the top of an exceedingly high mountain and told him to throw himself down again. Later, his brother James was taken to the top of the temple and thrown off and killed, right? I mean, that, that's what the documentation says. So remember, wherever there's light, there's dark. The darkness, the dark force is right there. Satan was on top of Jesus the whole way until he was crucified, until they murdered him. So the, the myth, when you see darkness, don't think darkness owns the light. If the darkness is there, it's because there's light. This, this monument caused a massive awakening and epiphany in the intelligence of the minds of early Americans to change the entire world. There would be no television, no radio, no nothing if these inventions didn't happen. Tesla didn't come from Yugoslavia with his inventions intact. He had nothing. He came there, he worked for Edison, and his mind was transformed. The second this thing was going up, there was Tesla. So, there they are getting ready to put the pyramidion on the top. I've done the math. I have the secret of the pyramidion. And, the, and again, the pyramidion secret is the all-seeing eye 
on the dollar. That's right. fascinating. Wow. There it is. So there's your, this is on my website. There's, you can see the slope angle. Now that slope angle forms the pentagram, which connects to Venus. Now, remember, let's go now to the um, 1952 UFO Washington. Because there's two sightings. This wasn't. The, the 1952 Washington D.C. UFO incident is is such a huge story. Um, I mean, I can just find it. National Archives Museum here, which is, I mean, th there was there's pictures taken of this, right? So your dates on these sightings over Washington. In July, there's two sightings. Of course, the UFOs went right over the Capitol and they went over the monument, right? So now we know the connection. There's a connection to the monument. And the, the Capitol, from my best measurement, the diameter of the Capitol, not the dome, but the entire Capitol building is 432 cubits. Using wow. the correct cube, you have to use the right cubit, right? And there's different cubits, but the God of the Bible used the perfect cubit because the remains of Noah's Ark. Again, I should probably. I just want to see if I can find a better. This is um, also right around the time when supposedly Val Thor comes to. Uh, to you're right, and notice the Val Thor says they're from Venus, and the pentagram is formed between Earth and Venus, which is the angle of the monument. I'm glad you brought that up. That's very important. So, but we're told there's nobody on Venus because its atmosphere has got sulfur and ammonia. You know what's interesting? In, in James Fox's new film on the case in Brazil, the aliens smelled like uh, ammonia and um, sulfur. Which is what do you think that means? That's what the atmosphere of Venus has sulfur and ammonia in it. So it could mean these freaking things are from Venus. But Valiant Thor didn't look like an alien. Notice he's human and his blonde woman counterpart is blonde. They're, again, I think the alien story, the little green men idea is, I mean, those might be artificial intelligence. Right. It might be so, like working for the human ETs, like because like what, what do you think about all this real quick? Because I know you don't have a lot of time, but like what are your thoughts on the abductions then? All the abductions, like but you know, like the work about Hopkins, David. James. Well, I read John Mack's book, and his hypothesis is most of it is happening behind sleep, right? Yeah. So here's your dates from July 12th to the 29th. A series of UFO sightings occurred in Washington D.C., later known as the Washington Flap. Now. Your Roswell date is July 8th. Your Trinity date is July 22nd. So we're within the window of Trinity on, on, on an anniversary of 1947, 48, 49, 50, 51, five years. It's the five-year anniversary of Trinity that these UFOs show up in Washington. So what does that tell you symbolically? Nuclear. Now, we're only three months away from the first hydrogen bomb test. And 
Both the atomic bomb and the hydrogen bomb were stolen by Russians. They this is in the Smithsonian. They they had a spy at Los Alamos who brought the weapons to to um, the blueprints to Russia. They didn't even have to think. The Russians tested the first atomic bomb in 1946. Then they, they did the hydrogen bomb after they stole it. Because it was stolen technology, the, the Amer America thought they would use it against them. So the United States put missiles in Turkey and in Eastern Europe pointing at Russia. Russia was devastated by the fact that we had missiles at close range to them. They sent their missiles to Cuba on boats and they were going to nuke the United States when I was just, I was only like two years old, right? And During Kennedy stopped that, right? And Kennedy stopped it so tactfully, so beautifully to give us lasting peace. So Russia, what do they think? Okay, you're going to steal our weapons and then you think we're not going to defend ourselves because we already dropped them. We, now, a lot of people don't know this either. So let's go back to Nagasaki and Hiroshima. July, um, July the 9th was here was Nagasaki. Hiroshima, I think, was July 5th or something like that. So August, sorry, August, August. Hiroshima and Nagasaki, August 9th was here, was not was Nagasaki. So why did we drop bombs on Japan? Because first of all, a lot of people don't know this. Japan had killed almost 20 million Chinese. They were at war with China. They thought they could conquer the entire world when they devastated China. And they, when they blew up Pearl Harbor, we had no recourse. We had no way to get proper revenge at the time for what they did. They thought they were going to conquer the American empire. They were an army that had to be stopped. I'm sorry for for what happened, for the people that suffered. But I'm telling you, their armies were brutal. They were brutal on the Chinese. And they were they, they were potentially going to be brutal against the United States. And in fact, if we didn't develop the atomic bomb, Japan might have done a huge amount of damage to California and the Western United States. A they already did with Pearl Harbor. They did get it. They already did with Pearl Harbor. So, so that those bombings terrified the Russians. The Russian spy is in Los Alamos. They he was a British guy, and and the, he he could just sound American. Like he he was, they were so good, but he's actually Russian. But he's trained in Great Britain, so we trusted him. They didn't even have to think the Russians. They they get the technology, and then. They're pointing missiles at us in Cuba because we're pointing missiles at them for stealing the weapon. And, and that's what led to the Cuban Missile Crisis. So today, when you think of Russia having all these nuclear weapons, it's all stolen technology. But the UFOs were following the story because their bases have been here for thousands of years. And they have far superior technology. And they have the ability to intercept and see a nuclear bomb won't go off if you intercept it if you blow it up in the sky it's not going to it's not going to go off the detonator has to be hit it, the detonator has to go off i mean you can blow the thing up you you might get some radioactive dust cloud but you're, the, you're it's not going to nuclear detonate when you intercept one of those things so the question is what's about to play out if we get to that level of warfare notice as we get closer 
to what looks like we're getting close to a nuclear war, all of a sudden the UFOs are all coming out again. And the balloons are just equipped with sensors and cameras because they're very slow moving, very non-threatening air vehicles that might give them a closer look. Because in Yellowknife, Canada, you hear, uh, this was recent, you hear at this airport, these pilots and the and the and the you know control tower are talking about these lights in the sky that are doing circles around performing in ways that airplanes don't perform. This is very recent. Those aren't balloons. Balloons can't do this in the sky. They they move like incredibly slow. I've seen weather balloons. So I think we're dealing with a situation right now where the UFOs are out again. They're watching our nuclear you know, intimidation, our game. And if they like this planet as much as we do, and they've been here longer than modern humans have been here, way longer, then they're not going to let this place go to smithereens. I, I agree. I, that's what I thought. I thought that's why, because I mean, it seemed to, just to summarize, it seems like we're seeing more and more reports of UAPs. It's really picking up, you know? Yeah. It's in all kinds of press. It's happening almost every day. If you read the debrief, if you read the Hill, Politico, even CNN is, is covering it. They, they, I got on the phone with a CNN reporter recently and tried to tell her What's missing in this whole case, and even in the congressional hearings, is your performance chart. Here's the speed of Minuteman, which is the fastest. Our tactical missiles may reach 3,000 miles an hour. But I know we can do better than that because I know about, you know, we know about um, the, the X-15 flights, Mach 4, 5, and 6, Mach 4. It's so funny. When these UAP stories broke, oh, my God, the Chinese might have missiles that can go Mach 5. We're going Mach 4, 5, and 6 in the freaking 50s people so so why do you think mach 5 is anything special plus david We're isn't our technology that. always 30 years ahead of what the public knows oh yeah again I, i've been on five military bases when i was you know working for you know a, a defense contractor we worked in bomb detection um biological weapon detection nuclear fusion and i've seen weapons like boyd bushman's talking about that we have Beam the beam weapons are instantaneous. They they don't leave any tracers like a like a smoke screen, like a plume of smoke, or you won't see any visible means of propulsion because it's a beam weapon, and they they can take out anything. That's what the Tesla death ray was. After Tesla dies, you know, it was in January the seventh to the eighth, nineteen forty three, and then. The Tesla death ray is taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. That's where they developed it. This is in the FBI files. I have those files on Tesla's death ray. And Tesla said the death ray could annihilate an army of 100,000 soldiers at once. Right. So the, the beam weapon that Boyd Bushman said took down the Roswell saucers, again, was probably the death ray and that death ray today is at a very advanced level but don't believe the news we're shooting missiles at these things you can't take these things out with missiles if you're talking about real uaps and then again look at the dates why was the air force let me just i just want people to see this so let me just show you this when was the usa force created 
September 18. So let's go to my share screen again. Let's see, is that the right one? You seeing this? Yeah. September. That's when the Air Force was created. Now watch. When was the CIA created? <laughs> Same date. Wow. Right? That's and 72 that days after Roswell, which is recorded as July the 8th. I know there's different dates on Roswell, but it's recorded as July. So it's it's more important symbolically. So that's 72 days later. And 72 is, is a master number, as I showed you. It's a master number. The 72 disciples, smaller disciples of Jesus. In fact, in the, in the time of Moses, there, there's 72, the number 72, um, 72, Moses, 72. Yeah, 72 disciples of Jesus, the 72, it's all over the Bible. It's everywhere, the 72. The 72 elders of Israel, right? There were 70 elders plus Moses and his brother makes 72. That's what that is. So again, why, you see how perfectly this is timed? It's perfect. So there, the number 72 may tie, because it ties in biblically to Moses and Jesus, the U.S. Air Force to the Roswell incident, which may implicate that Roswell is not what you think it is at all. They may not be aliens at all. That that may be a total cover story. They, they, it, those may have been test vehicles of ours. Like, you know, you go to go back to the Battle of 42 over Los Angeles. That's 1942. And we shot... 1400 rounds of munitions at these things now let me read the marshall memorandum marshall documents george c marshall the we retrieved one of those craft and it was taken to muroc field which became edwards air force base right and remember the fbi documents reveal the eight ufos were hovering over uh muroc field on the day of the roswell incident july the 8th i have all those files so Gordon Cooper describes using Super 8 film to film a UFO landing at the end of the dry lake bed at Edwards. I mean, I know that base so well because I trained there for my high altitude skydiving. I've been to air shows there. So there may be a part of the story. We may have had this technology before Roswell is what I'm saying. We may know at the higher echelons of government that Venus doesn't have an unbreathable atmosphere. I saw an early UFO presentation before I started speaking. I went to this conference and this guy gave a whole Venus conspiracy on how they, Venus has oceans. It's very much like Earth. And then they covered it up and said its atmosphere was unbreathable, super high temperatures. We'll believe whatever they tell us because we can't go to Venus. So when you, when you, when you see this story... A valiant Thor, you think, well, he's human looking, right? The gods in in the Bible and the demigods and even the fallen ones in the book of Enoch, they're human. They cohabited with the daughters of men. Like, you know, they were attracted to our women. So 
why do, why does every time an alien get mentioned they they look like insects and things like that there that may be partially true those could be ai there could be other races but the human looking ets when i had the dream after the flying saucer in 1967 68 they were human they showed me the inside of the craft how the how the the machine worked you know that produced their flight which is the counter rotational spinning fields so i don't think we have the answer yet i i think it's very possible at the highest levels the demigods that are evident in the bible the ancient worlds of egypt they have maintained bases all over this earth and they've been sharing it with us for a very long time their craft moves so fast they can go right over your head and you won't even see them and they're busying in the solar system and they have bases on the moon they have bases on jupiter's moon and saturn and they're free to move around the cosmos but they do like having bases here imagine they could park their ship they've got tons of gold because they're mining our gold and they can walk into a bank looking perfectly human give them some gold and open an account go shopping i don't know if they even <laughs> care about that <laughs> i don't even know if they even care about that but if they if they are the way they're described in the ancient text, they would be very beautiful humans, incredibly perfect. I mean, the women might dwarf Cindy Crawford. I don't know, or Claudia Schiffer. And they're walking among you, and you don't even know. That's fascinating. And they're, I think that's more what we're looking at. Because I, if I rely on ancient scriptures, all of, I've read all of Sitchin book and William Brownway's The Gods of Eden. It's very likely that they never left here. That in the last ice age, you know, a lot of humans got wiped off the map. They re-engineered us, made a new Adama, a new Eve, which they've done many times. There wasn't just one Adam and Eve. And then the new one, you know, started flourishing and they're busy mining the gold. You can talk to Michael Tellinger about, you know, South Africa and the gold mining operations. Yeah, they found so those gold mines, right? They, they, I know yeah. it was like the American Mining Corp or, or something like that. I think the name was, I remember Gerald Clark was found that. He, or he didn't find it, but he he did some research and he found that there was a bunch of gold mines in, in Africa. And he said there was definitely evidence that somebody was mining gold 100,000 years ago or something like that. That's yeah, I think thought. they still are. I, I don't think they want to go shopping in our stores. I don't think we probably have anything that interests them. But they might periodically walk among us just to you know slip in and go to manhattan and just take a look at everybody and then they they find their way out and, and that would be a story like a valiant thor story right and they might have had meetings with former u.s presidents like eisenhower and kennedy right and that may and then you get into marilyn monroe and the theory that monroe you know and the kennedy brothers told her too much about roswell and they she needed to be killed because she knew too much right so that's what i think i think i really believe in the the mythic of the goddesses and the gods and this is a beautiful planet right it's it's gorgeous they can go anywhere they want they can like what north of me i used to be a tree planter when i was young there's we're bigger than france british columbia just a little bit. 
There's nobody here. There's tons of places to hide up there and set up a base. You know, laser a hole in the side of a mountain and build a cavernous city in the side. I mean, the mountains in northern BC are spectacular. You know, I was tree planting one day up there when I was young, about 19 years old on the Alaskan panhandle. We were just on the Canadian side. And I weigh, with my 75 pounds of trees around my waist and my big cork boots, and I'm sinking in the mud this deep. There's these footprints this big. They're not grizzly bears. They don't have footprints that big. And grizzly bears are more triangular, right? These are long human prints. And they sank the mud this deep. And I showed my boss. I said, these aren't bear footprints. This is a freaking Bigfoot. And, oh, wow. or, or a big human. I don't know if it was even a hairy human. Because look at the size of the giants, you know, the, the giant gods, which were human, not hairy beasts, who might have really big spaceships, and they got bases up there. Again, not just you know, mining, but also maybe the inside of their cities are like, are, are mythic gold cities, like El Dorado, built into mountains. And and again, there it's just like having a condo on Earth when you want to come to Earth and go for a swim in a nice lake and park your ship and um you know hang out on earth for a week and then go to venus and then go to their ships because i documented today the velocity of these things they can move around the solar system with absolute impunity that's, this that's is what i think we're dealing with this has been fascinating david we went a little bit over but um i, I love this i'm going to post it today uh can you tell everybody, I know everybody saw it, but I always say, finish up, can you tell everybody your website, how to get your products, and thank you so much. Yeah, sure. So, so my website is David Sarita, S-E-R-E-D-A dot C-O, like company. Don't go to any other David Sarita sites because I've been hacked. It's David Sarita dot C-O. So thank you very much. Um yeah, and, this was uh, awesome. And uh, yeah, I'll send you a link when yeah, I Yeah, let me know when you post it and we'll share this. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, David. Okay, I've got to run to get back with my kids. Thank you so okay. much.